You know, last Saturday, uh, not yesterday, but a week ago, when this sanctuary was still, this room was literally full of sofas and old furniture, uh, it made actually uh, for some good jabs and, and jokes and laughs, you know, sofas in the worship space, you know, ha-ha, you know. Uh, there was uh, remarks of, you know, maybe we should keep them in here and get rid of some of the pews, ha-ha. And uh, so anyway, um, and people were making jokes, you know, it would be more comfortable, it would be more restful, it would make it more easy to fall asleep in church as if it isn't easy enough already, you know, all those kind of things were kind of flying around. And I get it, I get it. I'm, I'm not offended by jokes about people falling asleep in church. Um, I actually know how easy, easy it is. In fact, there's two things I always say about people sleeping in church. First of all, is um, I'm, 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 I'm less bothered by seeing people fall asleep than I am seeing people carry on full conversations while I'm preaching. <clears throat> so if you see me doing this, you know, it's not because you're asleep. It's <laughs> up here now. <laughs> the second one is that one of the reasons I love to preach, but one of the reasons I love to preach is that I'm pretty sure that I won't fall asleep during the sermon. So uh, that's always been one of my things. And yes, Sunday is to be a day of rest, rest. Uh, a day of rest from work and from toil. But it's also a day of, of worship. And I guess that's the difference between what I call a saint and being a smint. Uh, and let me see if I can uh, uh, explain what those mean. A, a saint, you have to decide which one you want to be. A saint is a Sunday afternoon is nap time, Okay. So I love being a saint. Sunday afternoon is nap. A smint is a Sunday morning is nap time. So you just have to decide which one you want to be, a saint or a smint, and I'm watching, and I'll be able to tell from up here. But uh, seriously, though, um, I want to look just a little bit at our need for rest. We are at the tail end of the summer series, All You Need Is Love, and we've had fun looking at several different uh, directions of, of the love of God for us and our love for others. We have had a great learning experience trying to share that love with our community this summer, and we've made great progress in terms of beginning some relationships and uh, connecting a little bit more in this community that God has called us to. And I'm totally looking forward to next Sunday when we get to celebrate all of it and hear some personal testimony, some some talks about what difference it has made and and the hope that I know has really been fueled in some of you for our church and our, our future and our connection with this community. I'm really looking forward to that. But today on this Labor Day weekend, I decided we needed just a little bit of a break. We needed just a little bit of a pause, not from loving each other, but we needed a little bit of a rest and a little bit of a reminder of the holy rhythm that God calls us to in our lives. Even observing a holiday weekend, and this is a holiday that was set aside to honor the hard work of Americans, even as we observe a holiday weekend, this becomes part of our rhythm too. When you think about summer, which begins sort of around Memorial Day, and then we kind of get that break in the middle at the 4th of July, and then we wrap it up with this Labor Day weekend. It gives a rhythm to our time and our summer, particularly here in this part of the country where the season uh, seems so short. But it becomes part of a rhythm along with the seasons, and along with the Sabbath, and along with sleep, and along with work. Worship is part of that rhythm as well. Worship and times for renewal. God made us that way. God built that rhythm in and made us that way. And so that's what we want to look at for a few minutes today before we go to the communion table, which is also part of our worship rhythm, where we're renewed in Christ. So this is what I want to say this morning, that God loves us deeply and is designed for creation and for us includes a built-in need for a life-giving rhythm that includes rest and renewal. 
And we will consider what steps we can take, just even little ones, towards a more holy rhythm in our lives as well. well first, first of all, we're going to look a little bit at, at Jesus and the holy rhythm that he exudes as he lives out his life. Secondly, a little bit of this built-in rhythm that uh, God has built into the system. And then a little bit at Sabbath and the reality of trying to do that. And then finally, as we move towards the communion table, we'll speak of how our worship is part of the rhythm that God gives us as well. Jesus said at the end of only three years of ministry that he had accomplished all that the Father had sent him to do, all that was necessary. You think your to-do list is bad, but God gave Jesus a to-do list that said, go down and save humanity and change the world, and you've got three years to do it. And Jesus, at the end, was able to go, done. Well, that's making light of how things finished for him. And that Jesus was able to say, I have come to do everything that the Father called me to do. But when we look at the New Testament, we realize Jesus didn't even get everything done that we thought he maybe needed to get done. I'm going to read a little bit of a longish passage here, but listen to how it flows here. From Mark chapter 1, after Jesus and his disciples left the synagogue, they went over to Simon and Andrew's home, and James and John were with them. Simon, or Peter's mother-in-law, was sick in bed with a high fever. They told Jesus about her right away, and he went to her bedside, and as he took her by the hand and helped her to sit up, the fever suddenly left, and she got up and prepared a meal for them. That evening at sunset, many sick and demon-possessed people were brought to Jesus. And a huge crowd of people from all over Capernaum gathered outside the door to watch. So Jesus healed great numbers of sick people who had many different kinds of diseases. And he ordered many demons to come out of their victims. But because they knew who he was, he refused to allow the demons to speak. The next morning... The next morning, Jesus awoke long before daybreak and went out alone into the wilderness to pray. Later, Simon and the others went out to find him, and they said, Everyone is asking for you. But he replied, We must go on to other towns as well, and I will preach to them too, because that is why I came. Now, the reason I read you that whole thing is to see how it kind of connects there. We often pull out verse 35 in a sermon like this, going, See? Jesus got up early. It's more holy to do your quiet time in the morning than in the evening because Jesus got up early and went outside to pray. Well, I don't know if it's more holy or not. And that's, that's a verse we pull out and say, see, but you need to see what's going on around it. There's all of this intense ministry right before it. He's healed Peter's mother-in-law, but then he's healed all these people and cast out demons and people are at the door and finally Jesus just has to kind of back away from all of it. And while he's having his quiet time out in the wilderness, the disciples come and say, there's more people. More people have signed up today for your healing clinic, Jesus. And what does Jesus say? We're going to other towns. He's kind of saying, done here, isn't he? Jesus had a sense of his priorities and moving on. He didn't even get everything done that it seemed like needed to be done. And yet Jesus had made his impact in that town and he moved on. Jesus had a holy rhythm of sensing when enough was enough. He had a holy enough was enough. He had a sense of holy rhythm of, of taking that time away and when it was time to move on to the next place that God had for him. We see secondly here in the holy rhythm of Jesus that it was a, a rest from the work, but it was always also a rest for the work. And same with us. We rest from our work in order that we are more rested and are able and equipped to do the work. Here's another familiar story in a rhythm of rest and renewal. Again, kind of long, you'll recognize parts of it, but listen to how this all ties together. As soon as Jesus heard the news, he went off by himself in a boat to a remote area to be alone. There he goes again. But the crowds heard where he was headed and followed by land from many villages. A vast crowd was there as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them and healed their sick. 
That evening, the disciples came to him and said, This is a desolate place, and it's getting late. Send the crowd away so they can go to the villages and buy food for themselves. But Jesus replied, That isn't necessary. You feed them. Impossible, they explained. We have only five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here, he said. Then he told the people to sit down on the grass, and he took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up toward heaven, and asked God's blessing on the food. Breaking the loaves into pieces, he gave some of the bread and fish to each disciple, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and they picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. About 5,000 men had eaten from those five loaves, in addition to all the women and children. Immediately after, okay, got the feeding of the 5,000, you know that story. Immediately after this, Jesus made his disciples get back into the boat and cross to the other side of the lake while he sent the people home. Afterward, he went up to the hills, by, there he goes again. Afterward, he went up to the hills by himself to pray. And night fell while, he, fell while he was there alone. Meanwhile, the disciples were in trouble far away from land for a strong wind had risen and they were fighting heavy waves. And about three o'clock in the morning, Jesus came to them, what? Walking on the water. Did you know those things all connected like that? Jesus goes to a lonely place. The disciples and the people follow him there. He comes out, he feeds 5,000 plus. I don't, women and children, sorry, I don't know why it's not in the big number, but that's the way the Bible's written. I didn't write it. And as soon as it's over, immediately, Mark loves that word anyway, he goes off to another place to rest up from all of this ministry. And partway through the night, he goes then to rescue his disciples. This rhythm of rest and ministry, getting away from the work in order to be empowered for the work. He depleted, he sends the disciples away, off alone to pray, replenished. He comes to them walking on the water. It's important that we see these stories that sometimes we pull out and see how they flow and we see it in this powerful rhythm that Jesus lives by. And it ought to be a bit of an encouragement to us as well. Jesus, fully God, fully man, has this rhythm built in and he gives us a built-in rhythm as well. Obviously, the, the, the flow of days and, and weeks and seasons create a rhythm for our, our life. A simple place to see it is simply the rhythm of rest or a short way to put it is you've got to sleep right? You've got to sleep. Try telling that to a toddler who's all stirred up with a lot of sugar in him. Just no point of reference for me at this point. Just, I'm just saying, you know, just say, you know, you've got to sleep. But seriously, we are generally a sleep deprived people. More and more studies on, uh, there are more and more studies on health issues that are related to being sleep deprived. I found one article that was actually kind of depressing, but the title was 11 signs that you are sleep deprived. First of all, you're hungry all the time. Secondly, you gain weight because you're hungry all the time. Because the third one is that you are more impulsive, so it's easier to grab something. Hungry, weight gain, impulsivity, memory, um, memory, um, memory loss, um, <laughs> See, this is how I keep you with me so you don't fall asleep. Decision-making, difficulty in decision-making. Motor skills are off. Trip a little more easy, drop things a little more easily. Emotions all over the place. You get sick more often when you're sleep-deprived. Even sometimes trouble with vision that can become blurred, blurry. Skin disorders. And then the issue of micro-sleep. You know what that is? It's when you're at a red light and you go, oh my gosh, I just fell asleep for a second. That's microsleep where the body just says, I've got to grab something right here. These become the issues with sleep deprivation. Why most of us think we could just fix that by simply sleeping in, it takes sometimes more of a commitment to that. In fact, one of my favorite quotes is that it makes more sense to sleep in on the front end. <laughs> that is, get to bed a little bit earlier. 
and rise with the day. The sun turns, the moon goes around it in 28 days, and it brings a, a kind of a four by seven rhythm based on creation. And these days, uh, are, are, there's a, this need of rest built into it. Seven days of, in a week, but one of those God set aside for rest. And we need to take seriously the rhythm of our own health and self-care and sleep. But also, the fact of our sleeping away nearly a third of every day is obviously a biological need. It's the way our bodies are created. But it could be that there's a little more than even the biological need here. It could be that we just simply need a little bit of a, of a death and resurrection every day. We need to kind of get to the end of the day and just sort of, sort, of, sort of die in a sense to connection with the world so that we can rest and then awake with a sense of renewal and new life every day. Every morning brings new opportunities. Or great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning, new mercies I see, the freshness of a, of a new day. It's sort of a descent into, into the dark of nighttime and the dark of sleep and then a rising to the light. There's a rhythm even to that besides simply the biological need for sleep. There's a sense of, of a clean slate for the day, of, of being refreshed. And I realize not every morning is refreshed. There's those mornings you wake up and go, okay, how many hours do I get to go back to sleep? <laughs> you know, I, I, there's days like that. But in, in reality, God intended that kind of a, a rhythm for rest. In Genesis, after each day of creation in Genesis 1, it says this, evening and morning, one day. God created something that says evening and morning, one day. And there's in here is this part of the rhythm that God starts our day before we do. You see, the Hebrew understanding of a day um, starts in the evening. We tend to think that you get up in the morning and that starts the day until you go to sleep at night. All the parts of the day when we can kind of be in control of things is what we consider to be our day. (laughs) But the Hebrew thought was that it starts in the evening as the sun goes down. And as the darkness descends on the world and the darkness descends as we go to sleep is really when the day starts. The day is the basic unit of God's creative activity. We go to sleep and God begins his work for a new day while we are totally unproductive. We cannot cross anything off our to-do list when we wake up in the morning other than slept. Check. But God is at work during those hours. And when we wake, we are called up and we're called out into God's creative work in that new day. And we join God with what he is already doing. It's just a different perspective on what am I going to do today is to say, Lord, what are we going to do today? Good morning, Lord. What do you have for me to do today? I want to do it with you, and I want to do it in line with your purposes. Evening and morning, one day. The rhythm of working with God. That's the daily rhythm, but rooted in creation also is this weekly rhythm as well, and that's the Sabbath rhythm and the Sabbath reality, really. The fourth commandment, which Brian uh, read for us from Exodus 20, speaks of this. But it's even more than that. To remember the Sabbath and to to keep it holy. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth to see everything in them, and then he rested on the seventh. Why did God need to rest? God's God. Why did God need to rest? Because he was building into the rhythm of creation and into the rhythm for us as well. And so why do we rest? We rest because God did, and God says so. Now, this command is repeated in Deuteronomy, and there's some, some, an additional information that comes with the command here uh, that's very interesting. Listen to this, Deuteronomy 5.15. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out with amazing power and mighty deeds. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. Now, listen, he's speaking to the Israelites. He's establishing the law here. They're wandering in the wilderness. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt. We know that. 
and that the Lord God brought you out with amazing power and mighty deeds. This is why the Lord your God has commanded you to observe the Sabbath day. You see, when they were enslaved in Egypt for 400 years, they did not have rest. There was no vacation policy for the brickmakers in Egypt. There was no PTO. All those years of slavery, of working constantly, with no sense of, of dignity for their lives, it weakened them and it made them more work units than they were actually people. It devalued the people of God. It made them even feel less than human. It's a horrible part of slavery that happened then thousands of years ago and it even happened in the dark years of our own history with slavery. It devalued people where they felt less than human because there was no sense of rhythm, of rest and renewal. And so God is saying to the children of Israel here, the Sabbath is not just this legalistic thing I'm dumping on you. This is a reminder to you that you need this rest, but it's also a reminder to you that you should not do this to another people. Did you catch that? You shall do this for all of your sons, your daughters, all your servants. Remember the part about your servants, everybody. Give them a day off. (laughs) And the alien living in your land. And the foreigner and the immigrant that works for you, that they have this same dignity to their life. Do not do to others what was done to you, enslaved in Egypt. This sense of self-care. The word self-care is kind of troubling sometimes because it sounds selfish, but it's not selfish. It's living into what God has called us to do, to rest from the work so that we're empowered for the work and to make sure that those for whom we are responsible are cared for and have that rhythm in their life as well. That's the Sabbath rhythm. It's not just take a Sunday off. Don't play outside. Don't do anything. It's this rhythm of rest that we give to each other as well. I suppose in light of that, we need to issue just a quick, what I call a a legalism alert. Is it a rule or a tool? Sabbath keeping at some times through church history has become uh, more of a legalistic rule that emphasizes external conformity. Like these, it's usually all the things you can't do on the Sabbath. And some of you grew up, maybe your tradition was where there was just all these things you could not do on the Sabbath. There are certain games you couldn't play. There are certain kinds of work you couldn't do. There are certain kinds of shopping. All those kind of things you could not do. Oh, what a wonderful day. Think of all the things I can't do today. And if I do them, I'll feel guilty. That helps renew you, doesn't it? Guilt's a great renewal thing, isn't it? Eh, wrong. <laughs> that becomes this rule that's imposed on us when, in fact, it's a tool for giving life. Yes, it's a command from God, but it's a, it's a tool to, to replenish us, to get us into God's presence for a time of rest and a time of refilling. Finding it means knowing what to do and what not to do. We need to be, I know I've used this word a lot lately, but we need to be intentional as we approach our, what I say here, our calendars, our clocks, and our quiet time. We, we can be intentional in these areas. And I know for some of you, life is at a place of being so overwhelming. The calendar and the clock are, feel like your enemies sometimes. Of course, now it's your phone. Your clock is your phone. Same thing. And it just sort of bundles everything that bothers you and reminds you and reminds you of your work you're not getting done and reminds you of all the fun that other people are having when you're working so hard, you know, that crazy little, that crazy little thing. We can be intentional with that. Mine has an off button. I don't use it very often, but it's a novel kind of a thing. Where you can, or, or I'll leave it in another room and go to another part of the house. I can't hear it there. And that's okay sometimes. There's some intentional things we can do in terms of looking ahead and planning our calendar and things that we'll say yes to that seem like a good idea when perhaps we maybe need to say no to. Even in terms of our work life, there's boundaries we can put around things. 
managing the calendar, managing the clock, and finding that time of quiet. And you don't have to call it a quiet time. You don't have to call it devotions. You can call it whatever you want. But it's that time when you shut down everything else and you come before the God who created you this way and said, you need this rhythm and you need this rest. And it's not just read the Bible, send up a quick prayer. It's a time of coming into God's presence. Those are the key parts of how we hear from God, but we also need to hear in silence. But there's intentionality we can bring in each of these places to get that rhythm in. You know, I think back to this issue of legalism on the, on the Sunday thing. We, uh, for, for some, it was so, so oppressive of what you couldn't do on Sunday that I feel like sometimes the, the, the pendulum has swung so far the other way that we, we've abused our freedom and Sabbath, even, even when we come to church, and here we, we moved it back an hour on Sunday so that you'd have more time to do stuff. Hopefully it's time to rest and, 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 uh, and be with family. But sometimes we fill it back up. The stores are open so we can get that shopping done. There's some more things that we can finish up on that day. And I'm, if you want to shop, that's great. But I just think we need to have a sense of what are ways that Sunday could be a little bit different. What are ways that we can maybe turn some of the things off and find that rest and time that, find that time of refreshment with each other. Even here at the church, we want to be, we're trying to be careful about how many things we schedule on a Sunday afternoon or evening so that it becomes a time of connecting but does not become just more stuff you got to do if you're a good church person. You see, God loves us deeply and his design for his creation for us is not to order us around but for us to live life to its fullest, for us to flourish in life. And to do that, he built in this life-giving rhythm that includes rest and renewal. So I encourage you to think of the steps that you would take as we move in that direction. And the final piece really is our, is our worship rhythm. And that's where we consider the table today. Obviously, the, the Sabbath became a time of worship. And in the Old Testament, it was that Saturday, obviously. It was the last day of the week, and it was the, it was the day to, to rest from labors, the Saturday. After the resurrection of Christ on a Sunday, for the most part in Christendom, other than some of our friends who still celebrate a seventh day, we have moved our Sabbath to this Sunday, where God built it into the plan. The resurrection is such a powerful thing that, really, did you know that every Sunday really is a mini Easter? Every Sunday is a mini Easter. We remember the risen Christ present and with us. We remember the work he did on the cross every single Sunday. Whether we give voice to the specifics every week, it's really kind of what we're doing. It's part of the rhythm that he has built into what we do. But Jesus on that night that he was betrayed also put another piece into the rhythm. He didn't say how often to do it. Some churches celebrate communion every time they worship. If you come from a Catholic transition, uh, uh, tradition, you know that mass equals communion. You just do it all the time. Certain Lutheran traditions, other Protestant traditions, Episcopalian. Some, I, my tradition, I grew up in the Methodist church, we did it once a quarter. We only did it about three, four times a year. And here in the covenant, we've just chosen monthly. There's nothing sacred about it other than, that seems about right. <laughs> There's a rhythm to it, one Sunday a month. And so it's part of the rhythm that God has built in for us. So let it be more than just a, oh, it's the first Sunday of the month. Let it be a reminder of the, the mini Easter Let it be a reminder of the rhythm that God built into your life and into my life as we come and share the communion together. Let's then move towards celebrating the Lord's Supper together. Hear then the invitation to the table. Come to the sacred table not because you must, but because you may. Come to testify not that you are righteous, but that you sincerely love our Lord Jesus Christ and desire to be his true disciples. 
Come not because you are strong, but because you are weak. Not because you have any claim on the grace of God, but because in your frailty and sin, you stand in constant need of God's mercy. Come not to express an opinion, but to seek God's presence and pray for the Spirit. Let us pray a prayer of confession. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. And Lord, we confess this morning that we have often ignored the command to rest on the Sabbath and to find that place of rhythm. We are truly sorry. We humbly repent. And for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us. Forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Hear these words of assurance from the scripture. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. May Almighty God have mercy on us, forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ, strengthen us in all goodness, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, keep us in eternal life. Now I'm going to read some words of rhythm. I'm giving commentary to communion day. We read different things in the introduction, but we always, always read what we call the words of institution, these words from the Apostle Paul. It's part of our rhythm that reminds us what Jesus was doing with his disciples that night. It reminds us what we're doing here. So hear then the words of our Lord Jesus Christ as they're delivered by the Apostle Paul. For I received from the Lord what I also handed on to you, that the Lord on the night that he was betrayed took a loaf of bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and blessed it and said, This is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took also the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often, as often, as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray. Lord, thank you that the words that I have just spoken are not my words. They are words that you spoke to us to give to us, Lord, this gift of life, this supper, this key piece in the rhythm that you have built into our life as followers of Christ. Oh, Lord, we ask you on this day of celebration, this Labor Day weekend, this Sunday, this Sabbath, Lord, that you would speak into our hearts, Kindness deeply into that rhythm of life with you. And rhythm includes the rest where we grow in depth and appreciation for who you are and what you're doing. Lord, we ask you now to bless this supper as we share in it. We pray this in the name of our Savior who also taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.